Steph's like, I'm not happy until she finally goes to therapy and I see it. <laughs> There's a mental health care plan right here with 20 sessions now. <laughs> Welcome to Psychocinematic, the podcast where we analyse depictions of mental illness and disability in popular film and TV. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Jagara, Yagara and Ugarapu people. We recognise their continued connection to the land and the waters of this place and acknowledge that this was and always will be Aboriginal land. We respect all elders and ancestors and any First Nations people listening here today. Welcome to Psychocinematic, Heidi White, my esteemed guest with us today. Hello. Yes, I'm so happy that you're here <laughs> talking with me on the podcast today. I'm happy to be here. One of my closest and dearest friends that I've had in my life for, for, <laughs> for, many, <a> <laughs> for many, many years. Yes, yes. Do you want to introduce yourself, Heidi, and yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm sure. So I'm a first generation Latina Australian. Um, but I convinced my mastery of the Spanish language brings shame to my cousins <laughs> and can use with a little bit of work. Um, many, many moons ago, I studied a Bachelor of Arts specialising in animation, which means that I loved animated movies so much that I actually want to help make them. Um, there's something so magical about bringing drawings to life. Mm. Um, even though life took me in a completely different direction, I still adore animated films and respect the many men and women that pour their hearts and souls into their craft to make these beautiful films and movies. Mm. I still hold out hope that one day I can bring a character to life with my voice, if not with my hands. You definitely <laughs> will. I'm excited to see it. <laughs> I'm also a massive bookworm and love card and board games, and I am a creative still. I love experimenting with different types of media and tools to make things like the Soot Sprite headband yes. that I gave you for your birthday. Which I still have, although Casper <laughs> has ruined it so much. Oh, I'll just have to make you a new one. I can't give him anything. Just... <laughs> um, and the first draft design of your wedding dress. Yes, we were just talking about that today. When we went in to get my wedding dress designed, Heidi basically just drew in like five seconds <laughs> what I wanted it to look like. And I was like, yes, that's it. It's amazing. <laughs> Happy to help. It was my pleasure. <laughs> um, anywho, enough about me. Let's abre los ojos and delve into today's episode. Yes. We were talking a lot about Disney movies because I've been sort of breaking them down in very bite-sized pieces on TikTok. And... Which I have seen <laughs> <laughs> and commented on. Yes. And some you, I may have, you know, I'm not trying to ruin people's favourite films, <laughs> but it's... It's, you know, brought some things to light that yeah, everyone's usually pretty aware of that makes it not as, like, a happy feeling <laughs> afterwards. Um, but I do love Disney films. I, I grew up on them, as did most people our age. Yes, um, yes, definitely. And there's some fantastic Disney films in the last, like, 10 years, 20 yeah. years, really. Yeah. Um, which brings us to today's episode about Encanto. Encanto. <laughs> A play on the Spanish words for magic spell and sing. I didn't know that. Yeah. Magic spell and sing. Yeah. Ah. So, um, encanto is magic spell, but canto means sing. Ah, that's mm. so good. Mm. And that was the latest film to win a bunch of Oscars, I'm pretty sure. I think they won a couple at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. During the 21 Oscar winning film. Unfortunately, yeah. something else overshadowed that. Mm. A slap. Yes. <laughs> Oh my god, the infamous slap. The infamous slap. 
And I, oh. I must admit, I didn't actually watch the Oscars this year, so mm. I missed like the musical numbers and. Yeah. Oh, there was, I think it was like more controversy than just the slap, but um, we might shelve that for another day. (laughs) It's another podcast for another time. Yeah. Yeah. And you were talking to me about this movie before I'd even seen it because you were saying that it's a really good example of toxic family dynamics and intergenerational trauma. Yes. And when I watched it, I like cried a few times (laughs) and went, oh my God, we got to do it. (laughs) And I think even though it is a different like cultural dynamic, a different ethnic group, um, it's still so relatable even in normal families, like, you know, across like many ethnicities. Especially in Australia, because we're so multicultural and so diverse. So many families came here from not so great circumstances, including my dad's side and and your family as well. Yeah, yeah. So my my mum's from Spain, but my father's actually from Central America, El Salvador. And when he came over here, he was actually escaping from um, civil war. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So he fled his country during that time to, like, survive, really. Yeah. Wow. Mm. It's such a huge journey to get here from that. Mm. And give up, like, his, um, like, degrees that he worked so hard for in his university back home because they don't really apply here. Yeah. Mm. That's still the case here. Still people will come here with fully-fledged careers and degrees and have to start from scratch. Start from scratch. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So, yeah, very relatable. Um, And also it's just a fucking brilliant movie with a fantastic soundtrack. Yeah, very much so. The soundtrack had to be recorded under strict COVID protocols. So the orchestra and the choir were split up and recorded in different sections on different days spanning from Los Angeles to Colombia. That is incredible. I saw in the tweets that um, Jared Bush, in in his tweets, like, he was sort of, like, talking about the inception of... Encanto to when it was um, released and it's like five years of so much work definitely and doing that through COVID and being able to bring that amazing soundtrack together is pretty incredible yeah uh, five years and 800 people poured their heart and souls into this film holy shit 800 people yeah (laughs) I feel like it comes through in the movie too it's just so intricate and there's so many layers and it's so beautifully executed yeah, it was, it was very important for a lot of people yeah. to get that kind of um, representation across. Yeah, because yeah. most of the um, voice cast is Latino or some has some sort of Hispanic background. Yeah. And not just the cast, but the people working on the film themselves, yeah. like in development and everything. They had um, their own section called like the familiar and oh, they yeah. would like bring them together in meetings and just ask them about their experiences and background and stuff for inspiration for the film. That's so good. Yeah. It's what you want to see. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that's familiar as in the Spanish for, family. for family. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I might go through the plot. So years and years ago, an armed conflict forces Pedro and Alma Madrigal, a young married couple, to flee their home village in Colombia with their recently born infant triplets. Julieta, Peppa, and Bruno. The attackers kill Pedro, but their wedding candle magically reacts to Alma's shock and grief, repelling the attackers and creates the Casita, a sentient house for the family located in a valley protected from the outside world by high mountains. So that area is actually loosely inspired by the Cocora Valley and many other beautiful places in Colombia. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Avalon. Oh, yeah. Like myth, because it's not surrounded by water, but it is surrounded by a mountain range that keeps the outside world out. So it's a very like... Self-contained. Self-contained, quite isolated, magical sort of... Area, yeah. 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 That you would... Explorers might try to discover. Yeah. And it, it seems like throughout, once they get there, 
to near the end of the movie, um, nobody's actually stepped outside. Yeah. 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 All the everything that happens goes in that, inside in the yeah. village. Yeah. Mm. Fifty years later, a new village thrives under the candle's protection, and its magic grants gifts to each madrigal. Am I saying that right? <laughs> Madrigal. Madrigal. Uh, descendant at the age of five, uh, which they use to serve the villagers. Yeah, each gift is actually complements their personalities. Yes. And, yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, oh. it's really good. <laughs> which we'll get into. Yes. <laughs> it's so fascinating how the way they made it. However, Bruno, vilified and scapegoated for his gift of seeing the future, disappeared 10 years earlier and nobody talks about Bruno. While Julietta's youngest daughter, 15-year-old Mirabelle, had mysteriously received no gift. On the evening when five-year-old Antonio gains the ability to communicate with animals, Mirabelle suddenly sees Casita cracking and the candle's flame flickering, but no one listens to her warnings. The next day, she talks to a super strong older sister, Louisa, who confesses to feeling overwhelmed by a near constant obligations, which is my favorite bit of the whole movie. <laughs> Love that song. That song is amazing. Oh, I have not stopped getting it in my head. And then she, she suggests that Bruno's room in a forbidden tower in Casita might explain the phenomenon. There, Mirabelle discovers a cave barely escapes it with some pieces of a slab of emerald glass in hand. Outside, Louisa discovers that her gift is weakening. After her family reminds her why Bruno is vilified, Mirabelle reassembles the glass and sees a picture of Casita cracking behind her. Oh no! She is in the vision. Later that evening, Mirabelle's older sister Isabella, who can make plants and flowers grow at will, is scheduled to become engaged to neighbour Mariano Guzman. Amidst Mariano's proposal and an awkward dinner, Dolores... <coughs> we'll get into that later (laughs) oh i'm excited um who possesses superhuman hearing reveals mirabelle's discovery to everyone causing casita to crack again ruining the night and mariano's proposal when the weather controlling pepper inadvertently conjures a downpour (laughs) amidst the chaos mirabelle follows a group of rats and discovers a secret passage behind a portrait where she finds bruno (laughs) who reveals he never left the house and that he broke the vision to save mirabelle oh my god that's so sad yeah Poor Bruno. Mm. Bruno reluctantly conjures another vision that resembles the previous one, along with Mirabelle embracing Isabella. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Why? (laughs) And strengthening the candle. Mirabelle reluctantly apologises to Isabella, who abruptly confesses that she does not want to marry Mariano and is burdened by her image of perfection. Mm. Mirabelle helps Isabella develop her powers and creates some not-so-perfect things, which Mm. is awesome, and the two embrace. Casita starts to rebuild, but Alma sees the pair and accuses Mirabelle of causing the family's misfortunes out of spite for not having a gift, oh which is an God. awful scene. Why? Mirabelle eventually snaps at Alma for not deeming her good enough for the family, blaming her overbearing nature for weakening the family's magic. This argument creates a fissure that splits a nearby mountain and demolishes Casita as the candle extinguishes, leaving the Madrigals powerless. Dear God. <laughs> Several hours later, Alma finds a tearful Mirabelle back at the river where Pedro died, explains her tragic backstory and how, determined to preserve the magic, she ignored how her expectations were harming the family and finally accepts responsibility for what happened. Mirabelle and Alma reconcile and the two, with Bruno, assemble the Madrigals to rebuild Casita with the townsfolk joining in. Love that community spirit. So wonderful. Mirabelle installs a new doorknob to the main door, which restores the family's gifts and revives Casita. She was the gift all along. (laughs) (laughs) The person's the gift. (laughs) (laughs) Or is therapy the gift? 
Let's talk about lived experience. So it was co-directed by three directors, mm-hmm. Jared Bush, Byron Howard, who um, just some details I found out about him is openly gay. He was born in Japan and has had a lot of traveling quite a bit in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, Sharice Castro Smith is a Cuban, has a Cuban American family. Um, and the part that opening prologue with um, Abuela Alma was a very first part of what Sharice Castro Smith created in that first draft. So that really stuck through to the end. And it sounds like her family experiences and her the the way she created Abuela Alma was very much uh, inspired by her own family and her own experiences, <laughs> and having um, some of the the strong women in her family inspired Abuela, and also using that supernatural storytelling, which the other directors really liked about Charisse of bringing that mm. to the table. Fun fact: the lady that voiced Abuela on her first day of recording her voice for the movie, actually turned up in the same outfit as a <laughs> was wearing. So she was really channeling the character. So Charisse is probably like, I created it, this character, <laughs> and there she real. is. She's real, she's real, all. Amazing. Yeah. Um, also, uh, the three children at the very beginning of the movie that kind of hound um, Maribel and try to ask her what her gift is, um, one of the children was actually based on or inspired by Teresa's baby girl, Cecilia. Oh, really? Yeah, the character's Aww. called Cecilia after a baby girl. Is it the one, not the one who's over-caffeinated? <laughs> <laughs> so there's three of them. There was Cecilia. She's the um, slightly light-skinned um, mm-hmm. Latina girl. And then there's uh, Alejandra, a nod to their Colombian guide. And mm-hmm. then the off- over-caffeinated Juancho is a nod to Jose, who's the artist who stitched Maribel's dress. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, And that means an artist actually stitched her dress. That wasn't yeah. just an animation. Yeah. They had to create yeah. the dress. He was, he was a development artist behind that dress. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. The townsperson who interacts with Abuela at the beginning of the film is named Lily. Uh, Lily, for Lily Valencia, who's an Afro-Colombian journalist who was consultant on the film, it's said that many people see themselves in the film because of her. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's what I really love about this film is there's so much real-life experience that's brought to it mm. and even characters that represent those people yeah. specifically. I was looking up stuff about Lin-Manuel Miranda, who everyone knows. If you don't know who he is, I don't know where you've been living your life <laughs> and he wrote or co-wrote most of the songs um, and he is Puerto Rican um, lived in New York but spent quite a lot of time with his extended family every year of his childhood back in Puerto Rico the first song he's ever written completely in Spanish was Dos Oreguitas yes I probably m- butchered that completely no, you, but... oh, I'm glad you took over <laughs> So yeah, that that means um two caterpillars. Really? Because during the course of the song, oh. they change and become butterflies. Oh, now I'm gonna cry. Yes. Damn, that song gets me every time I hear it. Oh. It makes me cry. That I every time I watch that scene, like the whole song in Spanish, up. but it seems to invoke you a lot of emotion need, in people. Yeah, you don't need yeah. the English. I love songs like that where you you, you can figure out what's happening yeah. without not understanding the language. And um, a little-known fact, um, Sebastian Yatra, who sung it, was the same age as Pedro when he died in the river in that Aww. film. Yeah. Are we all crying now, yeah. <laughs> And there's lots of articles, like I was reading the, a Psychology Today article about Lin-Manuel Miranda's gifted intensity and explaining what that is, which is 
just kind of going to be totally off point, but it was very interesting. Um, he has vestibular disorder, which I thought was interesting. What is that? So it's kind of your vestibular system is your balance system. So it's oh. kind of your brainstem is where that sort of system lies. So okay. when you have a vestibular disorder, you you can have sort of waves of sickness where you're off balance. Mm. You've got like severe vertigo. Ooh, so you really just can't Ooh. function or move. You feel really nauseous, oh. get really bad headaches. That sounds awful. It sounds, so sounds awful. horrendous. Oh my god. It sounds like it's pretty disabling it at times. It's debilitating it seems. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that he's got that plus manages to do so much work. And wrote such an awesome song. Yeah. It must be really <laughs> hard to manage yeah. all of that. Um, Kudos to him. Yeah. But he did say in creating Encanto, he was talking about that pressure of success, which comes through a lot in a lot of the songs and the, the storyline and talking about he felt pressure um, mm. seeing people his age shoot to success and then measuring himself against those people by age and talking about, you know, when Paul McCartney was his age, he'd already finished the Beatles and was min- midway through oh. Wings when he was his age. Oh, my God. And he wasn't even 30. And, like, Lynn, yeah. don't compare yourself to no. Paul fucking McCartney. Oh, my God, no. And also, you probably could because he wrote, like, some of his screenplays in college that are now major musicals. Wow. So, yeah. You're doing fine. You're doing well. <laughs> <laughs> no sweat. <laughs> but the three directors did, when they were talking about Encanto, they were discussing their common experience of having a large extended family and mm-hmm. deciding to make it a musical film about that sort of family with a dozen main characters. I saw somewhere uh, pictures of the whiteboard that they used at the very beginning to like kind of sketch out the way or what they wanted from the film. Oh, yeah. And one of the things that really stood out to me was that somebody had written, families are made up of individuals who evolve, who have hopes and dreams and faults and failures, Mm. that they wanted a story that would see family from a different perspective. I feel like they nailed that. Yeah, Yeah. I think so too. And I really like that they all came at this from different backgrounds and different probably different types of family or different cultures of family but similar intergenerational trauma experiences yeah to create this film that really speaks to so many people it's so so relatable so relatable yeah um i didn't find much on like any history of mental illness or what we see in this film in the cast but i did there obviously quite a few of them are from hispanic backgrounds Mm -hmm. um but and i did find out that Diane Guerrero, <laughs> Guerrero, Guerrero, <laughs> who plays Isabella, mm-hmm. and I've seen her in Orange Is the New Black. Always liked her. Oh. Um, she's said quite publicly, "I'm always drawn to movies with mental illness. That's what I want to do all the time." So mm-hmm. obviously, probably lots of reasons why she's drawn to that. Mm-hmm. Also, I feel Louisa is a queer character. I've just decided. <laughs> I don't think I'm not the only one who has. Um, she's very queer coded. Yes. Um, a lot of the internet have have felt that way and Jessica Darrow who plays her is a queer actor so Ah, yeah that's just interesting too like I I find Louisa like one of the most relatable yet also very likable characters yes I love her she's my favorite (laughs) (laughs) yes yes and she's such a unique character to Disney because she's she's not your typical heroine no no even in the in the film they compare her to Hercules yeah yeah and they could have written her as male very much so, yeah. yeah. But I didn't decide to go that way, and I. it's good that it didn't. Yeah, I, I really like love that it didn't. Yeah, I feel like they really needed a character like her. Yeah. Yeah. Good on you, Disney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
So, should we talk about accuracy? Sure. <laughs> There's a lot of notes. <laughs> I will try to be brief. <laughs> and one of Jared's tweets that I saw said that um, part of their multi-year research process for Encanto included speaking with psychologists, trauma counsellors, mental health experts, family therapists, and dozens of families who helped them find the dynamics and the struggles of the Madrigals, mm. which I love, 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 love. Mm, that's but so good. They didn't just go, oh, we've got experience with this, we'll write to that. They thought, let's talk to or professionals even, in the field. Yeah, or even worse, I think I know enough about this, I'll just write whatever I feel is right. Yeah, <laughs> and so many movies and TV shows we've covered that... Mm decide they're going to make something about this thing have gone I'm just going to talk about from my experience I don't need to do a big bunch of research and then Mm. it never quite ends up panning out in a way that everyone accepts and it gets panned by the people that know what they're talking about exactly so they've really done well (laughs) and everyone should Mm, mm. do a little research people just do a little bit of research So Mirabelle, as the main character, mm-hmm. I've read a lot of articles that suggest that if she was diagnosed with something, it would be depression, but like covered up by the happy-go-lucky girls. So oh. What are your thoughts? Uh, I don't know if this is a thing thing, but I think that she has like a bit of an inferiority complex. Yeah. And it's yeah, not, yeah. not completely her fault. It's just the way she is treated by other people in her family. Yeah, like, she doesn't do anything to deserve that. <laughs> no, she doesn't. She is a very lovely girl who tries to help as much as she can without having an actual magical gift. Yeah. Um, and yet they put her down. She doesn't get her own room and continues to live in the nursery, yeah. even though she's 15 come on people she's a teenager she needs her own space yes um in the beginning a random townsperson gifts her the not special special (laughs) thanks guys ouch that has got to hurt and then she's left out of family pictures yeah what is up with that her parents are in the photo they could have said oh wait no one of our daughters are not in the picture and yet they don't you know, what is with that? Can I tell you something? <laughs> yes, go on. We've been going through my grandfather's things and one of them, I gifted him a wedding photo of our family, Aww. like our extended family. Yeah. And Maz isn't in it. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know where she was. <laughs> but I was like, here you go, here's your family and Maz. No, nah, she's not there. Well, Sorry, Maz. And when, she, when the actress or the voice actor that actually sung that... Um, Waiting for a miracle. Mm. Oh, that killed me. That killed me so hard. But also, um, when she sung that, she was nine months pregnant. <gasps> I, I heard that. Nine months pregnant. Because I follow Stephanie Beatrice on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Nine months pregnant. And then like 48 hours after completing singing that song, she gave birth to a baby. So she could have been in labor. <laughs> she might have been. <laughs> but like, yeah, like so soon after, like she Maybe had her own on miracle. Maybe a Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And if she was like overdue, she's like waiting for this baby miracle to get out of here. Come on, come on. So relatable. Yes. But yes, so essentially she's the the black sheep of the family. And having Julieta as her mum has probably done such good for her because she's a very stable, loving presence Mm. who probably saved her with giving her a very secure attachment and, and really filling those gaps and also like tried to get feelings out of her like at the end of Antonio's ceremony she tries to get her to talk about her feelings and say today was really hard for you like we can talk about it but she doesn't 
But she doesn't because everyone else is like, no, we don't talk about our feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, oh, I can help like decorate the house. And then the house is like, what? <laughs> but I tried so hard. And she's like, no, no, you're good. You're good. You can do it yourself. It's fine. Like, there's no value in her. No. Like she, because she doesn't have a gift, no one values her. Yeah. Which I think is like, just using those words right now, so many people could relate to just that sentiment of not feeling valued because they don't have some sort of special gift or talent mm. or skill. Yeah. They're just a normal person and they feel that they don't have value. But she's not the only person in the Madrigal family that doesn't have a gift. There's mm. the fathers that married into the family that are just like for lack of a better term, blaming people. But because they're male, they get away with it. It's fine. <laughs> oh, I hate that so much. But I also love that the men in the family don't have gifts. Yeah. At yeah. the same time. Well, well, the men don't, but the boys do. The boys do. The boys we will do. become men. Yes, yes. That's true. Yes. Yes, that's true. But Bruno's shunned. So <laughs> that's different. So there's um, actually a conspiracy theory going around that Mirabella unintentionally forfeited her gift because she wiped her hands on her dress after touching the candle, but before touching the magical doorknob. I, you, you said that to me and I, I was re-watching it that, like, that day and I was like, oh, I know! Because <laughs> like, she does that, but Antonio, and Antonio does, does not do that. Oh, no. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Could that be what? happened all along maybe i'm guessing that like it was that obvious they would have said something about it yeah. and they haven't so no yeah and also like it kind of wouldn't make sense as to what happens at the end of the film yeah she kind of didn't need to have the she gift. Sh- like she her gift had to happen at the end. yeah at yeah. the end yeah that yeah. was her gift all along was <laughs> she had a journey a latent gift had yes. a journey to go through yes, yes. <laughs> When she walks up to Bruno's place and has to like get over the edge of that huge cliff, makes me so fucking anxious. Cause then she has to get back again and like, yes, it's just a cavern. Oh my god, me too. So Bruno's place is actually inspired by the Salt Cathedral of Please Don't Hate Me, <laughs> Zipper Kira. It is actually a stunning underground cathedral in Colombia, and I think it's located in a salt mine. Oh, wow. Yeah. This movie does make me really want to go to Colombia. I know. Pretty badly. Beautiful scenery. Yeah. I totally thought that Toucan was going to be Mirabel's support animal. Yeah. And then he just, Very like, Disney. fucking takes off <laughs> <laughs> at the first sign of danger. And like, then we basically don't see him again. Don't see him again. <laughs> like, thanks for nothing. <laughs> anyway, did you know that the toucan is voiced by Alan Tudyk? I did know that. Oh my god! I, I like, love I, found, him so much. I saw him in the credits, and <laughs> I thought that maybe he'd have a bigger role, but no, he's just the toucan. Just the toucan. <laughs> yeah. He's actually voiced a few Disney animals over the years, um, and in this particular mm-hmm. film, he was able to tell the director that the original scratch voice, which is like the the voice that they put in at the beginning just to fill in the gaps oh, yeah, yeah. until they're replaced by the real voice yeah. um, was actually a different species of bird altogether. Oh. That's how much like research he does. He's such a pro. That's so good. <laughs> what other, do you know what other um, characters he's voiced? He was Tuk Tuk in Raya and the Last Dragon. Oh, yeah. So that spinny thing that she rides. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was him. Yeah. He's just very good at animal noises. Yeah, pretty and much. And also acting. Yes, I loved him in um, A Knight's Tale. Oh, he yeah. He was hilarious. He was Iago in Aladdin. 
Oh, really? The newer one, not the old one. Oh, okay. Yeah. I haven't seen the new one. Yeah. But yeah, he was like the rooster in Moana as well. Like all the noises like, ah! and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> So reading up about Mirabelle specifically, I did read quite a bit from therapists and people with Latino backgrounds or um, migrant backgrounds about Mirabelle and why her character resonates. Like, for example, one of the, I think she's a psychologist, um, (laughs) she says, our parents came here fleeing war, poverty, violence. They come here, they establish a life, and then we're born into this duality, and we're not seen in one, and we're not seen in the other. So being seen, I guess is what she's saying. Mm. She's part of that duality. She's the only one who's in touch with the community, and she's the only one that's leaving the house, going out, talking to people, and then she comes back home, and she's kind of put in her place and told, you actually don't have anything to contribute. It's hard. Yeah, and I think a lot of people from that background relate to that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Do you relate to that feeling, Heidi? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, At all? I, well, I think that um, growing up, there was certainly a lot more expected of me than I felt uh, my friends from other families had. Mm. Like, um, I, it was expected that I would grow up, I would still attend church, I would marry a boy from my cultural background, mm-hmm. basically that sort of thing. But I was rebellious. <laughs> I am first generation Australian and I did not want anything expected of me. I wanted to do my own thing. So I, I, can't, I can kind of relate to that. Um, but at the same time, Mirabel on the other side of the coin nothing's expected of her because mm. they don't think that she can contribute yeah. and I find that's really hard it's like the expectations are so high they don't think she'll ever get there so they've just yeah. given up on her yeah pretty yeah. much like like they said before like she's not special and I find that's so sad yeah <laughs> I think she is special in her own way she can contribute in her own way it's just that she's not given a chance no no, no. I guess that's kind of what she's trying to communicate a lot during the film and other researchers have sort of said this, that she's trying to communicate to her grandmother, I want to be seen, I want to be part of the family, I want to be valuable, and she's just not being seen. There's no acknowledgement. Yeah, for like Antonio's party, like she tries, she makes her own decorations from scratch without any magical assistance. Mm, which and... I think is more <laughs> impressive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just so happened that at the time that Abuela was actually walking past, uh, her particular decoration went up in flames. <laughs> like I can relate to that. Oh, just, like, her dad is so accident prone. Come on, it yeah, has a little bit of the family. It has to trickle a little bit down the family tree. Yeah. Yeah. So there's another article that I'll link to where they talk about Mirabelle and Bruno being like the truth tellers of the family. Um, which makes sense because what we'll talk about a little bit more later as well is that there's the sense of we can't talk about anything bad or anything that's going to disrupt the status quo or that we feel uncomfortable about. We don't talk about it, so we pretend it's not there. Mirabelle's definitely someone who wants to bring to light all those things everyone is hiding. This article was talking about how people who are trying to be the truth teller are often also the black sheep, and they're often rejected, gaslit, and scapegoated for Mm. just simply showing things as they are. Yeah. Like, at the beginning of the film, um, she tries to downplay not getting a gift in front of the village kids. Yeah. And even though it's, like, you can see it's a sore spot for her and she's trying to smile through it all. And then one of the kids, like, pipes up saying that perhaps Mirabel's gift has been in denial. (laughs) And I was like, ooh, ouch. But at the same time, not Mirabel, like, her rest of her family. It's the opposite. Yeah. But in some ways, like, being in denial of what she was sort of missing out on and 
being neglected by well, kind of what got her through that well, denial of those things. Yeah, well, like growing up and being told that you're not special is going to leave a mark. Yeah, you have to get, you have to you survive. Have to work through it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> should we talk about Bruno? Yeah, should we talk about Bruno? <laughs> or do we not talk about Bruno? When you were talking to me about this movie, you were like, I think Bruno has OCD. And I agree. Yes. Okay, I got that right. <laughs> like my suspicions have been confirmed. <laughs> um, like, I guess, you know, there's a lot going on with Bruno. And I think I said to you, it's a psychologist goldmine. Yeah, um, but there's a lot. <laughs> his kind of compulsions and his mannerisms, like he has to knock on the door a certain amount of time and have weird sort of little mannerisms to yeah. progress on to the next room. It's very OCD. Yeah, like I don't. Obsessive compulsive disorder, yeah. everyone. Sorry. <laughs> um, I, I don't think that that he was born with this. I think that was very much something that maybe his family put him in that situation where he would get OCD. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think it's part of his paranoia being told that he's constantly brings bad luck, uh, that he, like, misfortune everywhere he goes. And now he's, like, knocking on wood and yeah. making those tappy noises. Like, yeah. yeah. He's sort of become what everyone says he is. Yeah. It's that self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Oh. And he is not seven feet tall. <laughs> he cannot see into your dreams or, f- or feast on your screens. Um, he's the baby of the triplets, which makes his absence from the beginning of the film all the more tragic. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was um, Julietta who says, Bruno lost his way in his family and I don't want the same for you. And it sort of creates this fear in the family that being different or expressing any kind of emotion that's mm. not happy yeah. or serious um, leads to being exiled. eventually exiled yeah. Yeah, and cut off. Mm. Um, and over the years, mm. um, disability in, in a lot of cultures has been treated very similarly to that. Um, mm. The person who is disabled is often actually seen as a lesser class of, of person oh. um, and are then sort of isolated away from everyone mm. else in the community because it's they're seen as something to shame or to, that brings shame on the family oh, that's horrible. and I sort of felt that that was a bit of a metaphor for that because he was a little bit different mm. he didn't fit the norm of, of everyone else his yeah. gift wasn't seen as creating positivity yeah I think um, in any culture, I've seen like um, people that are not as abled as others trying yeah. to get into society and be accepted for who they are. Well, most cultures. <laughs> Every. <laughs> well, most cultures, yeah. 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 Whether they're given a chance or not is completely different. And it's upsetting that you could see his gift as being helpful, but because sometimes his gift is giving negative news, because he also does share positive things, like he, he tells Isabella that she'll have whatever she wants in her dreams. Like, that's a positive yeah which is so weird i know like what is that because she wanted to be imperfect and then she was able to be maybe maybe perfection was her nightmare yes yes so that's probably what that was yeah so but because his a lot of his messages were that negative things are going to happen it's like they were shooting the messenger like he's just telling you but he's not creating it but he was seen as the person creating the negativity yeah I don't, I don't agree with why he was shamed or outcasted because a lot of the things that he was saying were some things that were beyond his control. Yeah. Like the priest that got bored. Come on. Hair loss. <laughs> hair loss happens to anyone regardless of gender. Um, the guy with the gut. Yeah. Like seriously, you can't blame somebody what? for getting fat. COVID, guys. Yeah. 
Oh, on a side note, uh, apparently animating a belly button is super complex. <laughs> and they had to I actually... I don't know how I got onto that. <laughs> and they actually had to put, like, funding aside for that belly button to go <laughs> so bizarre so that it like popped out yeah 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 they thought that it was important enough that it needed its own budget to actually make sure if you're watching Encanto when you get to that bit rewind press play again rewind to press play no one does that anymore (laughs) press skip appreciate that belly button a lot of work went into it (laughs) just give him a little kiss and that lady with the goldfish who by the way is called Senora Pez Muerto and that means Muerto is death, right? Yeah, so it's death, dead fish. <laughs> like, Miss Dead Fish. <laughs> Who blames so a person clever. for a dead goldfish? Yeah. And like, But I guess it's a mystical world, so there is yeah. blaming him for, like, you know, having powers that cause them to die, I guess. But, like, at the very beginning of that song, um, Don't Talk About Bruno, uh, Tia Pepper, like she has a hairline trigger when it comes to her emotions. Yes. She tries to repress it so hard throughout the whole movie and it never really works. No, which is a metaphor. Yes. <laughs> yes. And um, during her wedding, like any wedding is a very emotional time. And then Bruno's just like, you know, there might be some situation where there's going to be rain, maybe take an umbrella. And I'm thinking that's more like friendly advice and a prediction. And she just took it the wrong way. Yeah. I think it's quite telling that that line in it is no clouds are loud in the sky. Yeah. It's like everything has to be perfect. And then by putting that this is the way it must happen, Bruno saying it might rain, like it's not going to be perfect, guys. Exactly. You get out of here. (laughs) Well, there's one bit where um, Bruno has has an episode of OCD and he's tapping, he's knocking on wood, he's not stepping on cracks. And he says, Sana, Sana, Kulita de Rana. And I burst out laughing when I heard that. I just could not stop. Because <laughs> this is something that my grandmother used to say to me whenever I hurt myself and got a boo-boo. Aww. <laughs> yeah. It's really, really cute until I explain what it roughly translates to. And it actually, it means heel, heel, little bottom of a frog. <laughs> memory <laughs> little bottom of a frog little bottom of a frog yes <laughs> <laughs> that is so cute i'm gonna start saying that to casper now whenever he has yeah. a little boo-boo yeah playing the grandma she was like sana sana rana, sana sana rana. it used to make me feel better because <laughs> she had a little bottom of a frog rubbing <laughs> uh no frogs were harmed during the making of this podcast <laughs> Yeah, I think some other things that Bruno, I reckon, probably experiences is um, obsessive compulsive disorder is very mm-hmm. much driven by anxiety, yeah. um, which would make sense if he's feeling a little bit anxious as well, mm. um, possibly from some depression because he's withdrawing from society yeah. and he's basically decided he's the lowest of the low and shouldn't be around anyone because he's causing them harm. Well, he leaves and, not? and lives in the walls. Yeah. Like on the other side of the wall, directly across from where the family table is, he's painted like a plate. Yeah. So he can still sort of feel like part of the, part family, of the family looking through the cracks. Yeah. Oh, he's trying me. to create a world where he's part of it when he's not. 
Yeah. Um, a lot of people think that, I've read a few times that they thought Bruno was maybe on the autism spectrum. Oh. Um, because he doesn't sort of fit the norm. He's maybe quite blunt when he does share his vision, mm. so he doesn't quite have the sort of um, nuance of how to... how to Socially interact? Yeah, socially interact Social with people views. that are going to be yeah, yeah. Um, accepting of his visions. Mm. What do you and think he, about that? I did you pick up on that at all? I just feel like a lot of those mannerisms would have come out, like you say, yeah, as his character developed over time rather yeah. than, you know, something innate because, or maybe his vision is like coded for something like autism because yeah. he tells the truth without any sort of filter. Well, I feel like um, when he actually did have his. Uh, predictions at the beginning he didn't really know how to control it until yeah. Mirabelle stepped in and asked him to see for her yeah. and then she was like can you concentrate on this can you concentrate on that um and then he could slightly control what he was looking at but yeah. before that he couldn't so yeah it's kind of hard yeah it's say. hard to to make that claim one thing that I missed <laughs> and you picked up on was his um, characters that he sort of created for oh, himself his as well. Friends. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's his little friends. Like, there's Bruno, of course, and then there's Fernando, who's not afraid of anything. And then there's um, Jorge, who spackles, who I call Mr. S- or Sir Spackalot, <laughs> because he has like the bucket on what his is head. What's a spackle? Oh, okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> So when Mirabelle goes into the wall and she sees his place, she notices that on the wall where the cracks are, there's like uh, it's oh, like spack filler. Yes, that's what that is. Spack right. Filler. I just thought it was spack filler. <laughs> he calls it spackle or spack. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yes. you're you're wondering if he could have. Like a diagnosis of dissociative identity as well. Yeah. Um, which you could make a case for. Yeah, I'm not a professional. I just saw that he was making people to stand up for him. Yeah. Because Hernando is the brave one. He's not afraid of anything. Yeah. And I don't know. <laughs> well, Spackle Jorge's is the like, one who fixes, fixes everything. everything. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and I think just in the context of the film, it's probably more likely that he created these characters to entertain himself and yeah. keep himself occupied. And also to imagine a different person for himself where he could. Yeah. Because he's got a lot of spare time on his hands. <laughs> like the rats, the telenovela yeah, rats. rats. <laughs> this is a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably, and he doesn't look like he dissociates. It's more yeah, pretend play. Pretend, yeah. like uh, imaginary friends. Yeah, which he, usually adults don't have, but Bruno's a special case. Well, he did say you want to be an actor too, so True. maybe that's in practicing, I don't know. Yeah. Have we finished talking about Bruno? I think so. (laughs) Should we talk about Abuela Mm. Alma next? Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I first watched this movie, I see elements of people Abuela's age of narcissistic tendencies that she has, where what matters most is what the family looks like and what serves the family mm-hmm. and the community and not what serves the actual people in it. The, mm. the safety of everyone is less important than Keeping us. up appearances? Keeping up appearances yeah. and, and, make, and making sure everyone isn't mm. worried about anything. Yeah. 
And she does use lots of narcissistic tendencies in that by very much gaslighting Mirabel and um, making her out to be the crazy the problem. One. Yeah, the crazy yeah, one. Yeah, doubting her own sanity yeah. to the point where, yeah, oh, that just pisses me off so much, sorry. It's, it's <laughs> like when you look at like, abuse, like Darvo, abusive sort of tendencies, if mm-hmm. someone has a problem, like, you know, Mirabel brings up, like what you're doing is harming the house. Yeah. That's the sort of, and I'll, I'll explain it in the episode notes, but that's the sort of technique she uses. Yeah. She turns it back on Mirabelle and mm. makes her feel like crap and that yeah. she's the one who's the problem, which is like, what abusers do? <laughs> and it's always in front of other people, like crowds yeah. of townsfolk or the rest of her family. It's, it's awful. It's yeah. awful to watch. She treats her really badly. Quite badly. Um, but then you find out that it all stems from her traumatic loss of literally everything she's ever known and yeah. had. Yeah. She's trying so hard to protect what she has left. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you hear more about the story and you go, go to the beautiful song <laughs> and the flashbacks, it gives you the context of knowing, of course, she wants to protect the casita and the encanto above everything else because it is the thing that saved her. Yeah, and protects her family. Yeah, and she needed that to survive. Mm. And what often happens with trauma is what we had to do to survive when the trauma was happening mm. got us through. Yeah. But then we keep doing those things when the trauma's over mm. and it no longer is serving us. It's no longer no. functional or effective. It actually causes harm. Mm. So we need to sort of stop doing that and let go of those things. It's like finding some other coping mechanism or strategy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. because we're still in that trauma brain. We still think the trauma's mm. there when now there's a new way we have to live because the trauma's over. Yeah, yeah, I have heard of that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like you said, it's very hard to break away from. It's Yeah, it's like a huge thing to deal with, especially, you know, 50 years of it, mm. of living, having gone through this and the, that not being dealt with. It's hard to break down all those wars. It does seem like she's bottled a lot inside. Mm. She doesn't seem to have a lot of people to speak to about her issues and her concerns. Like when um, Mirabel comes across her talking to her dead husband yeah. outside the window. Well, no one in her generation is probably no. alive or no. around. Well, um, nobody she trusts to that level because it appears the townsfolk rely heavily on her and her yeah. family. So any sign of weakness is she doesn't want to show it. No, at all. she doesn't feel she can show it because she feels the pressure on herself. She is the matriarch. She is, which I also love. <laughs> <laughs> there's some articles about lots of articles about an intergenerational trauma and how um, abuela is in, implicated in this uh one of them samatino was talking about explaining and, and empathizing with her clients when she is in those kind of situations that abuela alma is mm-hmm. they're talking about a way of supporting her clients is really developing a lens of empathy for their parents and the trauma that they experience why wouldn't abuela be overprotective when her husband was murdered in front of her mm. she doesn't know what's outside that mountain range no she, why would she want to go yeah when everything's yeah. so perfect inside the mountain range for all she knows the war's still going on exactly um, And she said that as more people see this movie or as more people talk about it, I think you're probably going to see more people realizing they have repressed these things. I wonder how many people we're going to see say, I didn't realize or I forgot, but I had those same experiences too. Or I didn't realize I was doing that to my family members. Abuela didn't realize she was doing all this to harm her family. And she eventually kind of realizes Mm. at the end. She wakes up. So, yeah, um, quite a few therapists are like, this movie's great for our clients who are going through either uh, uh, sort of younger generations of intergenerational trauma or some of the ones perpetuating it. 
Mm. So they recognise the signs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. <clears throat> Anything else you want to mention with Abuela? Do you see any family members of your own in Abuela? Yes, very much so. Like um, the perception that other people have of your family is very important, and you have to kind of keep up appearances. Not like appearances of affluence, although sometimes that helps as well because it's like bragging rights. Mm. But like also your children, how well your children do. A lot of my cousins, and I don't know whether this is a reason behind it, but that a lot of them are dentists. Uh-huh. And it's like, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> a lot of them are. And it's like, I think more like a doctor-ish kind of yeah, um, accomplishment. Mm. Yeah. And the fact that you can brag that your kid has done so well for themselves. Mm. Uh it's it's I think it's something that maybe you can step back from and let your kids be who they want to be. But yeah. the older generation puts so much stock in appearances and their family and how they that family appears to the people outside that like it, it might be a thing that will change in the future or it might still trickle down. You don't know. It just it depends on the people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hmm. I haven't got the same family background as yours, but I definitely see that that need to impress through mm. your kids and what they're up to and that competitiveness. Yes. Um, and that sort of living through your children and yes. their achievements. Living which, vicariously through your children. Which I definitely see in Abuela because she doesn't have a gift. Mm. All her kids do and, and their kids. Yeah. So mm. it's like they are reflective of her. Yes, like her pride and joy. Yes. Like um, Isabella, the perfect golden child. Yes, which is a common thing that happens with narcissistic parenting. You have a golden child and a black sheep. Yes. So There's one in every family, they say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, should we talk about Isabella then? Like she is the oldest. She is. She's, she's 21. She's the first grandchild and literally has been called the golden child. <laughs> Um, so her, her beauty is basically perfection and everything she does and mm. flowers everywhere because the they're perfect. perfect. Yes. yes. She's expected to be perfect. She's not allowed to be imperfect. So no. She has to marry well yes. and to a perfect man. Who's just on paper perfect. He keeps getting punched in the face and I do feel sorry for him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so funny, but at the same time, violence is not funny. I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's always for plants too. It's, yeah. <laughs> so like, is that like a subconscious kind of like, pow? <laughs> but it's nice to see like the hunky prince being actually the one who gets the <laughs> rotten end of the stick sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Mariano in Encanto is not a villain so much as irrelevant. Yeah, he's completely <laughs> irrelevant. <laughs> it's one step further. It's very feminist. He's not really needed for this. Yeah. And Isabella eventually realizes that yeah that he's not needed not in her life anyway but yeah I think um her journey is very much how limiting perfectionism is and it's stressful it's stressful so stressful maintaining it and it's not um freeing it doesn't give you license to just be yourself and she seems like a very creative soul once she lets go yeah like all those little cacti she makes like oh that's so cute (laughs) just her whole dress and her hair is very cool afterwards yes like um all those like colored um powders that she just lets explode everywhere which does not 
attach themselves to Mirabelle's clothes? Did you notice that? <laughs> That's not fair to Mirabelle. <laughs> like, she, like, Isabella's having all this fun with these coloured powders. It's like on her hair, on her clothes, and not a bit of it sticks to Mirabelle. This is a continuity error. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's tweet Jared and see if that was intentional. Why? I'm Why? sure he's got an answer for it. Oh. Uh, someone was saying how first-generation children constantly get the message that we need to be more than what we are, and those pressures can be a major toll. So, yeah, I think that's definitely the case for Isabella, that she has to be more, she has to be perfect, she has to be 100 all the time. Um, and obviously that makes takes a ma- major toll. And the way she treats um, Mirabella as a sister... It's horrible. Yeah. Like, and it's like a blemish in the perfection that she's trying to create around her. Yeah. And I think part of that is probably jealousy that Mirabelle can just be herself. Yeah, the freedom that she so craves. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other side is like frustration because she feels as soon as she's around, she's already going to fail at the same time. Yeah, that's true. It's like both sides of the coin with both of them, like that's perfection and imperfection and they want the other. That's yeah. so weird. Yeah, they want to share from each other. You want what you can't have. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, um, I can see that you said that um, she eventually sees the joy and happiness and beauty and imperfection. Yeah, which yeah. I love. I like. I really like that song. <laughs> Dolores is uh, also twenty one. Also twenty one, and sort of in Isabella's shadow, and she's literally a shadow. Yes. Yeah. Pretty much. People also don't tend to notice her until she's like right there. It's kind yeah. of scary. Yeah. <laughs> she talks really softly like she's not allowed to make herself known or be present. I think that's more to do with um, her hearing. That oh. Because she speaks, she can hear it so clearly. She and then needs speaking. to speak quietly so she doesn't deafen herself. Yeah, I think mm. so. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> and she has a crush on Mariano, yeah. who is set to be betrothed to Isabella. Mm. And I'm thinking that perhaps this might have made her maybe a pseudo-villain in this movie? Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) She's not not so obviously a villain, but everything that she does in this movie is self-serving. All right, so hear me out, hear me out. (laughs) (laughs) I've never thought about it this way. Everyone who loves Dolores is going to hate me because she is an adorable character. (laughs) And she does have like this, every time she says something like, (laughs) <laughs> I do find her very funny. Yeah. Anyway, so um, in the beginning when the abuela, she's saying, please make this uh, dinner perfect, her, Isabella's proposal perfect, Mirabelle, don't stuff it up. So Dolores, who hears everything, would have heard this. And yet, when she finds out about Mirabelle finding the prophecy that involves her, when she's having that conversation with her dad, she makes a... And then she <laughs> runs away. And Mirabelle's like... Fuck my life. <laughs> Shit's gonna go down. I have to stop this. This night has to be perfect for my sister. Yeah. And then during the dinner, like Mirabelle's making eye contact, like seriously intense eye contact with Dolores, like, don't say a word. And it all comes back to that song where Dolores admits that her the prediction for herself was that she would fall in love with yes. a guy betrothed, betrothed to, to someone else. Yeah. Yeah, so when she saw that conversation between um, Mirabelle and her father and they were all at the dinner. Once Mirabelle breaks eye contact with her, she's telling her cousin, her brother, she immediately Camilla, does, immediately, yeah. immediately. And then it kind of trickles down, has like an effect. 
the only person that actually helps is Dolores. Yeah. Because, like, she's ruining Isabella's night. She could have not said anything. She yeah. could have kept it to herself, that. but she yeah. started that. And it doesn't help Abuela because they could have told her after the dinner. Mm-hmm. It doesn't help Isabella, although it kind of did in a way because then we find out that she doesn't like him. Yeah, true. Um, but it's self-serving because that's her opportunity to break Yes. and ruin it and stop that proposal from happening yeah yeah and then eventually that leads to yeah them not getting married exactly and she yeah she steps in she steps in she's like i can take it from here and yeah. she just pushes mirabel out of the way and she's just like i like you i've heard about you let's date and he's yeah. like let's get married and have babies and she's like wait a second yeah which i love <laughs> yeah <laughs> But like all the all the things that she set in motion led to that point where she has the opportunity to bag the guy that she likes. Yeah. Treading over other people to get there. So yes, that was mm. like my slight theory that Dolores is, even though very cute, kind of very self-serving. Seriously, s- secretly sinister. Yeah. Well, she, she holds everyone's secrets, which must be a huge burden yeah. for her. And do you think that her... Is that a tick? It happens possibly, so possibly, often. Yeah. It happens it so often. An, I reckon she'd be extremely anxious to be Yes. <laughs> because there's so much she knows. She obviously knows something's going wrong with the casita and doesn't feel like she can tell anyone. Although she does gossip a little bit. Mm. Like um, it does make it harder for everyone to be open and honest. Yeah. Yeah. They can't really no. share too much because they know she can hear everything. She can hear everything. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's likely it could be a bit of a nervous tick. Yeah. Mm. Mm. <laughs> get out that diagnostic pad <laughs> Louisa yes I love Louisa so much oh she's so cool see I thought Louisa was the oldest child because I read a lot about how surface pressure is so perfect for an older child yes but I think this is more to do with her strength rather than her age yes and that's why she's feeling the pressure yes because yes. I do relate to Louisa in having to hold everything together. Yes. And I, everyone relying on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just such a perfect song because it really nails how hard it is being under pressure and being so anxious but keeping it all in, keeping it all together and mm. just wanting to, like, feeling like you're going to explode at any point. Like, yeah. yeah. You feel that the pressure through this song and the need to just want to relax for five seconds. Yeah. Kind of like Abuela, bottling it all in. Yes. Mm. But she but Louise is so young, she's not no. developed this steely yep, she's, surface. No, she's cracking. <laughs> Abuela has. You know. And at the end of the song where she's like <laughs> like yeah. hyperventilating. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just, feeling it. I'm feeling it's it. It's done so beautifully. And then when she's like, sometimes I overdo it. Yeah. <laughs> Like, she can see it. Um, I think the talk that she has with Mirabelle when she realises maybe I am overdoing it, maybe I am taking too much on, uh, maybe I do have to step back and maybe relax and have a little bit more me time. Yeah. I feel like she's a girl that really needs, like, a face pack, and, <laughs> like a spa, like a little wine. Yes. <laughs> um, and I love how you see her try to do that and then... <laughs> 
she just loses it because then she felt guilty and then she felt weak and, and then she felt behind on everything yeah, and then she had even more pressure and that often happens when you try and give yourself some self-care when you're carrying too much and then you know you mm. take a day off yeah. but then you have twice the amount of stuff yes. to catch up on the next day yeah i'm sure you can relate to this Heidi. Ooh, well, <laughs> i think everybody can relate to it whether you're like a student going to school and facing exams and study yes. and assignments or whether you're an adult going to work and having your tasks prioritized and then reprioritized because you've missed a few days because you're feeling unwell and then you come home and you You've got a kid to look after and it deal with. It doesn't stuff. switch off. Yeah, the house is a mess, and then you. Yeah, yeah. adulting is hard. <laughs> Just life is hard. Life is hard. <laughs> yeah, she's a very relatable a, character. Yeah, and that song is just a really good. Oh my god, it's so catchy. If I go back into private practice, I'll be like, "Are you a Louisa? Let's <laughs> sing the song together. Do you wanna?" It's like, "Are you a Louisa, Isabella, or Mirabel? <laughs> <laughs> or are you an Abuela? Let's oh, do some really heavy work." Yes. <laughs> Crack those knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> and she's a really, a, a very likable character as well, without being the typical Disney hero. She's a woman that has the strength of what we usually see in a male character mm-hmm. on screen. Mm-hmm. So she's a little bit different from the norm that we yes. see with Disney, which makes her a little bit more normal in real life. Mm. So there's so many layers of relatability, I think, that people will have for her. Should we quickly skim through the other characters? Yeah, sure. Camilo, he's the sort of the shapeshifter character. Yeah, he's a theatre kid. Like, he's mm-hmm. 15. He's a class clown. He's the same age as Mirabel. Yeah. Yeah, but he's the older one because he went before she did. That's true. Because the next person to try and get their gift was Antonio. Yes, that's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. So he's the mischievous shapeshifter. He has, actually has, like, chameleon symbols on his clothes. Ah. Yeah. And also another character inspired by a Colombian guide called Camillo. But uh, this Camillo reminds me more of Loki from Norse mythology. Oh, okay. The mischievous shapeshifter. Oh, yeah, because he's very, like, a bit of a larrikin. Yeah, pretty much. Into his tricks and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes helpful, sometimes not. Sometimes Mm. just a general pain in the butt. But that's your younger brother for you. Like, that's what they do. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, though, because I see uh, Mirabella is so much more mature and... Um, yes. trying to help people as much as more so than Camillo yeah I think it's because of what she's gone through and what she's had to fight to be yes. seen yes well Camillo she's had to age faster yes basically. For sure yeah. faster for sure another interesting fact is like um so even here he can like shapeshift into whoever he wants he doesn't actually gain their gifts mm. so for example if he was to change into Louisa um he won't gain her gift of strength he would just acquire her strength in the real world as a juxtaposition to her actual build. Right, yeah. okay. So if she was carrying donkeys, he might drop those donkeys. Yeah, pretty right. much. Maybe one <laughs> donkey, not, not ten. Okay. <laughs> uh, Pepper? Yep, the middle triplet. Yes. What do you think about her? Because I was reading like Reddit threads yes. saying that she maybe she has bipolar disorder, which... As as a, as an actual psychologist, <laughs> I'm harmful? like, nah. <laughs> is, that, is that a harmful perception? I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> Let's keep that in. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. That's uh, how I feel. <laughs> um, 
Is that perception of people with bipolar being so emotional and moody, is that harmful? Is that even correct? It's definitely incorrect because that's just like one facet of, you know, being emotional is one facet Mm -hmm. of many facets of quite a few mental illnesses or disorders. Um, And bipolar disorder, I don't think encapsulates how Pepper feels at all. Like she could meet no criteria or many criteria. Basically, the fact that her emotions come out in, I think that's an in weather yes. form yes. Um, doesn't mean her emotions are themselves dysfunctional or over the top. It's just the fact she has this power. Mm-hmm. I think that you know, outside of that reality, if it's trying to be a metaphor for bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. you could make that case. But I also don't think it's I don't think it's a helpful way to <laughs> yes. um, see bipolar disorder. Yeah. Is it it's a very common misconception? A misconception and very black and white and yeah. not very um, true to life. I feel like kind of like Bruno, she's the same in where her gift has caused her anxiety. Yeah. Like it hasn't helped her in any way where she has to actually repress her feelings in order for people to have like a good day yeah yeah yeah. like that's that's fucked (laughs) that was how your day was like and that is a perfect metaphor for the intergenerational um trauma and then that impact on the family you have Mm. to repress your true emotions so everyone's okay yeah um you shouldn't have to do that no anyone who's doing that right now you shouldn't have to do that and i think in the end like her husband felix actually encourages her to let loose yeah like i don't care i married you for who you are not your gift just like let it out baby kind of thing it's often abuela who's like Pull yourself together. Exactly. Like, we don't want storms today. Like, rain in your emotion. Like, that's so unfair. So unfair. It's such a... And just the words, we don't want storms today. Like, that is... You could (sighs) apply that in so many scenarios of being, like, repressed emotion. Like, what is Pepper supposed to be? Like, an unemotional robot? Yeah. It's so hard. And is it, like, you can only be sad when we need some rain for the crops? Oh, my God. Can (laughs) you imagine? Let's just bring Pepper to the field and, like, I don't know, kneecap her or something. Yeah, that's really harsh. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That went dark really quick. Julieta? Julieta. So her gift is to heal through her food. And she seems the most together character, to be honest. She's more in touch with her emotions than anyone else. Um, I think that perhaps, like, she probably tapped into her healing ability a little earlier yeah. not her gift so much as her, her wanting to help her community and yeah. her family and I guess in order to heal you have to accept that there's something to heal so she's yes. very present very much presented with yeah the the problems yeah. that need healing mm. yeah so that's probably made her more in touch with emotions and it really brings out her mothering side as well with yeah. Mirabelle yeah always concerned for her wanting the best for her even though sometimes she kind of leaves her out. Yeah. Which it just, doesn't compute with me. How does that work? I reckon it's because she would be afraid of the backlash from Abuela. Oh, true. Her mother's approval. Yeah, because that's how that trauma oh. affects Julieta and then yeah. that gets passed down to her. And Julieta is the oldest triplet, so the first child. First child. First child pressure. First child pressure, yes. I relate. <laughs> and um, she's married to Augustine, who's yeah. the severely accident-prone father of Mirabelle. <laughs> and um, apparently that's how they met. 
like he kept like hurting himself so often and she healed himself so often like they eventually like it became a relationship and you know what that's that's a really good metaphor for what a good relationship is when you're both aware of both of your yeah you you lay yourself out there like he's accident prone so much that's maybe a big flaw of his yeah and she's acknowledged she's been very (laughs) aware of that for a while and is happy to heal them but in a way that doesn't hurt her because yeah if your your role in a relationship shouldn't be always to fix the other person's problems exactly but i feel like it's kind of uh, impacted her relationship because i've noticed that uh, throughout the movie he always looks to his wife for approval yeah yeah like uh, what are we going to do next what do you want to do kind of mm. thing and i'm thinking mm, shouldn't a relationship be more like quid pro quo like yeah like compromise like we both have to come to an agreement rather yeah. than that's clear leader i guess he's an outsider in the family though so he would not have any power true that's very true because he doesn't have a power yeah (laughs) um and lucky last yeah antonio little antonio i think he's so sweet i sort of saw him as a little bit socially anxious but i think that might also do with his age and usually at that age they are quite shy especially when you've got a huge family and you're trying to get a seat at the table and be seen and a big responsibility to get it right especially after mirabelle's kind of catastrophe with her initiation her big party that didn't really go to plan Mm. yeah yeah i love her and his relationship too because even though you know, he's sort of afraid that what happened to her will happen to him. He's so... They've, they've got such a close, tight bond. Yeah. And he's he respects her so much as well. Yeah. Well, Mirabelle's pretty much um, the closest family member to him because they yeah. shared the nursery together. Yeah. So from the moment he's born, she's been there for him as, like, the close older sister. Yeah. Very sweet. And um, the character was actually partially inspired by Jared's own son, Emmett, who was eight at the time, shy and loved animals. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. So I'm going to talk a little bit about intergenerational trauma to sort of tie it all up because I think we've seen, I guess essentially in all of the characters, how that trauma and the way it was managed and not managed. explored <laughs> or yeah. discussed or healed um, mm. has manifested in how those gifts are bestowed upon those kids and then hence how their potential mental ill health or mental illness is manifested in them. Are they gifts or burdens? Exactly. Mm. Um, And I think that's very true to what we see in the world. And, you know, intergenerational trauma is so common because the world is fucked. Yes. (laughs) And particularly in Australia where there's a combination of so many cultures from so many different traumatic experiences that have come here and also... The land that we're on is built on intergenerational trauma. True, very true. So there's so much of it in the First Nations people of Australia too, which doesn't even get acknowledged oftentimes. So Mm. I think it's so relatable for so many reasons. Um, I just want to talk about some of the research on it. Uh, and what it actually is. So it's it's also referred to transgenerational trauma or multi-generational trauma, which is when the effects of a trauma are passed from one generation to the next. So what happens to one person in the family system affects the whole system. So it's very much focused on the sort of family systems or systemic theory of therapy, I guess. One of the researchers show that the roots of intergenerational trauma fall into three categories. Group level traumas such as genocide, war, forced displacement, or racial or gender discrimination. All that fun stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I think is sort of relevant to um, the Madrigals. Mm. Interpersonal level traumas such as intimate partner violence or child abuse or neglect. Mirabelle. 
Mirabelle, yeah. And often that is a common, I've worked with lots of people who have experienced those kind of traumas. Mm -hmm. Personal level traumas such as substance abuse or a life-changing accident. Abuela. Yes, yes. And then there are sort of four different ways that people can respond to these traumas and they can um, experience all of them or um, some of them. One is denial. Mirabelle. Mirabelle. (laughs) (laughs) But also everyone. Not everyone. Yeah, everyone on some level, yes. Self-blame, which I'd say Bruno. Louisa. And Louisa, yes. Mm. Attack others, which I think at times Abuela, for sure. And withdraw, I would say, is Bruno as well. And maybe even... um... Dolores. Oh, Dolores. (laughs) Oh, on some level, yeah. On some level. She's the shadow, yeah. She's the shadow. Lecturers in psychology, Lamb and Holland, say that tracing a family's patterns of behaviour can help uncover intergenerational trauma. So there can be histories of, like, say, substance abuse in generation after generation, which can speak to intergenerational trauma. One pattern of that is I know a few families where many of their family members have died of alcohol-related Ill, mm. illness mm-hmm. so I think that sort of and I think that's quite common in Australia I may be talking out of my ass but mm-hmm. that is to me a, like a substance abuse problem that gets passed on to generations because their kids are ah. in that sort of experience where heavy drinking is common and then their kids do the same and it gets passed on and passed on yeah same thing can happen with things like uh, domestic violence and yeah attachment in relationships and things like that yeah my um my grandfather on my father's side I've actually never met him and it's like maybe it's kind of a thing that's not talked of that it could have been alcohol poisoning yeah 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 it's yeah. interesting and it's the dynamics of the family which kind of manifest it and continue to perpetuate it because you don't mm. talk about it and no one gets help for it because it's just, why would you? Yeah, or, like it's, a, it's the whole like skeletons in the closet, don't talk yeah. about it, it's unseen kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Mental health experts and advocates have been drawing parallels between the Madrigal family members and the seven inner child archetypes formulated by a psychologist, Nicole Lapera. Oh, do tell. Yes. I bet you can you can guess <laughs> what she thought. <laughs> so firstly, there's the caretaker, which gains self-worth through nurturing others, but often neglects their own self-care. Julieta. Julieta. I think also Luisa. Yeah, true. And Mirabelle. Yeah, Mirabelle tries. Tries. She tries so hard. Tries. Yeah. Overachiever, believes they can only receive love through success and external achievements Isabella's is gonna marry a man or was gonna marry a man just just for the, family just for family yeah yeah for sure underachiever attempts to be invisible to avoid criticism and the shame of failing Dolores Dolores totally rescuer or protector focuses on helping others as a way to avoid their own vulnerability Mirabelle Mirabelle I think maybe Louisa a little bit too mm, maybe yes yes Life of the party, never shows pain and tries to make everyone around them happy. Louisa? I kind of saw more Camilo. Oh, Camilo too, yes, yeah. yes. Because he like, just tries to entertain everybody and yeah, make them laugh. Yeah, yeah. Life, life is yeah. the life of the party. Yes, that's true. Uh, yes person, always focused on serving others' needs while sacrificing their own. Yeah, a lot of them do. Especially Louisa, I think. Mm-hmm. And hero worshipper, looks towards others as a role model rather than listening to their inner wisdom. I feel like at times Mirabelle is yes. that person. Yes, I think so, because she feels herself lacking. Yeah. And yeah. So she doesn't think she can listen to herself because she's not. No. She doesn't have value. Like, everybody keeps putting her down and telling her that she doesn't meet their expectations. Yeah. So she feels unworthy. 
So the way it, generational trauma plays out is cyclical. Um, so results repeat until a pattern is brought into awareness and then properly dealt with and healed. And it's kind of the truth tellers, as we said before, Bruno and Mirabelle, who mm. end up being the cycle breakers. Yes. So they disrupt the toxic dynamic and turn it into something more sustain- sustainable, healthier and more honest, which is why like sort of building the house again, brick by brick through their yeah. own sort of sweat and tears. Sweat, blood and tears. Sweat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Through that and through completely destroying their home again, is when Abuela is able to sort of recognise that the consequences of her actions. The townspeople actually show up for the family who gave them everything. And there's also, in reading this, there was the the word codependency came up a bit, which is... um, So, like, what they're codependent on their gifts? Or each other in the family. Like, Mm. um, I feel like Abuela is quite codependent on her kids and their gifts Mm -hmm. because rather than receive and give love and care and comfort it's it's overtaking from them mm-hmm. and over, and them overgiving to receive the love they have to give yeah so it's sort of stripping all that back and being like what is what are we why yeah. are we giving what is yeah. this all for it's yeah. for our family and our yeah. family being happy there was actually like one thing that really stood out to me i don't know if it's codependency or just their dependency on their gift but when Casita starts to crumble all around them and they're all trying to save the magical candle. Mm. Um, everyone's using their gift to get to the candle. Yeah. But Mirabel relies on herself and gets to it because yeah, she's, she's reliant on her own abilities, not magical abilities. Yeah. So, yeah. That, that is very symbolic. Isn't yes, it? isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And also the fact that it goes out and it's not the end of the world. No. Yeah. No. Although it does take a little bit to realise that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very <That's> close. True. <laughs> yeah. And I think one thing I probably would say is not accurate out of all that is it actually takes a lot of work to mm. sort of undo some of the hurt yes. and start the healing of inter- intergenerational trauma. It does not happen that quickly. No. And also, mainly because there's so many people that it affects. There's mm. so much of a spiral sort of it's a jigsaw domino puzzle. effect. Everything, yeah, a yeah. jigsaw puzzle. A very complex jigsaw puzzle. Um, like everyone in that family should get lots of therapy. <laughs> True. <laughs> Without trying to repeat ourselves too many times, we'll talk about stereotypes and then whether we thought it was helpful or harmful. Uh, spoiler alert, I think we thought it was helpful. Mm-hmm. Is there anything though, despite all, all that we love about the film, was there any sort of tropes or stereotypes that we didn't like? Well... <laughs> See, it's hard. It is. It is really hard. It is really hard. Well, not knowing. Well, I'm not from a Colombian background, so I don't know whether the depictions of Colombian people in that specific movie are accurate. Mm. Um, I think that the family dynamics is pretty accurate. Uh, mm. The clothing, I'm not quite sure. Maybe they were. They did a lot of research, so yeah. it could be. Could I'll be give pretty. them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> There's not that many stereotypes per se because they try to try to show more so the types of people that are affected by this type of situation. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) what do you think? Well, my initial thought was they are very like they're portrayed as a very wealthy, very I don't know if they're particularly wealthy. I I don't see money exchanging hands of like currency. Yes. That because But their gifts are kind of their wealth. Yeah. Well, 
that what sets them apart. Yes, very much so. Yeah. So it feels like a bit of a class thing, um, or I, economic disparity. Well, I think which that, I, I don't know. It just made me feel a little bit uncomfy. Um, I'm thinking because it is a magical gift, um, it does set them apart from like the normal people in the village. Mm. But the people in the village so rely on them quite yeah. heavily. Yeah. Like those fucking donkeys. Like, <laughs> dear God, what are they, Houdini? Like, make the wards a little larger or something. And they're always relying on Louisa to get those donkeys when it's like a thing that they could probably do themselves. Yeah. Like, how hard is it to hurt donkeys? I don't know. Might and be hard. A, and that's a kind of codependent example, I think. Because rather than sort of go, hey, why don't yeah. you sort out your donkeys, mate, and get a pen or something yeah. or whatever. Exactly. Rather than them constantly having to help, constantly having to give, constantly having to exactly. get them out of a sticky situation. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's situations like um, with that guy where his house is kind of like sinking on one side. It's something that happens quite regularly in the real, real world. but. Yeah normal people deal with it like every day yeah so it's not something that needs to be fixed magically but isn't it easier <laughs> i don't know how easy it is to fix but it can be done it's not very easy in encanto <laughs> yeah well a swift kick to the side of the building does help so yeah yeah and i think now that i'm thinking about a sort of sore economic disparity I think it's also like because Casita is gorgeous and magical and if it was actually real estate it would be highly valued. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying dollar can signs. clean their own dishes. I mean, yes. yes. They give you your shoes. Yeah, clean, keeps it clean themselves. Like you don't have to do anything. It clothes you. And look at those rooms. Like, oh, fucking hell. amazing. Um, but. Anyway, uh, digress. Like they don't want for anything. No. Um, but I think that is also sort of a metaphor for what it's like in second third generation mm. of the of those cultures in a you know place where yeah. you are looked after and you are wealthy mm. it's like elite well just like you know being in a comfortable suburban house in australia mm. when you were in a war-torn country yeah. that's kind of it's almost a metaphor for that like you're looked after you're happy you're safe you're you're financially secure yeah do you know what I mean? Like, you kind of, they, they went on that journey from ha- having nothing to having yes. something. Yeah. It was kind of, yeah. It was a magical sort of gift. It was a magic candle that gave yeah. Casita. Yeah. Yeah. It does set them apart from the normal people. Yeah. Regular, regular people like you and me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it had to. Um, I would have loved, Disney, I always want you to do more. Do better. <laughs> always do better. <laughs> Maybe have someone who wasn't able-bodied in the film, you know, oh. just with some sort of disability. That would have been nice. True, and, but that's Julieta's problem. Yeah. She keeps fixing people with her food. So that is true. So there is no possibility for any type of... Um, dis- Which is eugenics. Heidi. <laughs> Maybe Ju- Julieta is the villain after all. <laughs> oh my God. Conspiracy theories left, right, and center. But I also, I do find that Julieta, Julieta has sort of that nurturing mother role and her gift is cooking. And it's kind of like, I'm sure that's also, you know, food is a very important thing yeah. in many cultures, but it also was like, your value is cooking. It's not a very feminist gift. It's very, it's a very nuclear family gender role stereotype. Exactly. Yes. Yes, yes it is. That was my only complaint. <laughs> Just those two things. Oh, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. 
Because other than that, pretty much everything in this movie is more smashes that stereotype. Mm. There's no mm. love... St- well, there is a love story, but it's like uh, one of many... It's like a side story. Yeah. It's not the main event. And there's quite a few side stories. Like, like we already said, Mariana is kind of irrelevant. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't drive the plot. No. It's not a princess tale. Mm-mm. And it's not about a man saving a woman. It's literally the less like specially gifted person saving an entire yeah. community. Um, and people finally seeing her for who she is yeah, and are valuing her for her contributions that she can make regardless of whether she's gifted or not. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And it's good to see Louisa as a woman whose power is strength, which we don't see mm. very often over no. the years in Disney. It's very typically a masculine gift. Yeah. And which, they did kind of make her look a little masculine. Yeah. But she's still really pretty. She's like, gorgeous. She's gorgeous. I love her. Um, <laughs> love her so much. <laughs> <laughs> and she, so I feel that she's coded queer. And then, of course, I want you to do more Disney. Can you make someone actually queer in your movies? Please, 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 yes, please, please. <laughs> As we've said, it's helpful to see a culture depicted in Disney by the culture, for the culture. Research. Yes. Research. I feel like Turning Red is also similar because it was <gasps> oh, written I by someone that. of the culture. I love that movie. Oh. So much. Probably will do that. But yeah, it's a very accessible movie. It's extremely, extremely popular. It's very hard to not see some sort of reference to Encanto in media everywhere. And the children love it. They do. It'll be great to use this movie to talk through with your kids when, um, if you have had this sort of experience in mm. your life, to talk through. This is, you know, a great representation of how sometimes we don't talk to you grandma that often or you know yeah. um what happened in my my life and how we can do better like in the future or, communication you know. is the key yeah exactly and um that message for the need of self-care and self-love mm. um and how it's not just taking a break it's also taking a mind yeah like taking a lot more off your plate as well and realizing that you are enough yeah mm. And I love that the way forward for them is building the house together as a family and a community and bringing everyone together becomes Mirabelle's gift Mm -hmm. and acknowledging the trauma. And when she talks to Abuela and Abuela admits that she's harmed the family, rather than saying, yeah, you did, fuck off. She wouldn't say that in Disney movie. But she says, you did so much for this family. We wouldn't be here without you. She's finally realised. Yeah. Yeah. And she acknowledges and validates her trauma yeah and and that's kind of Mirabelle's gift mm. so the gift is therapy <laughs> <laughs> I Which see I what love. you did there <laughs> <laughs> but that that scene makes me cry yeah it's like oh yeah. kids are gonna see this and they're gonna go this is what I need to say to my grandmother who um has lots of pressure on me and makes wants me to mm. do my have all the best grades etc um but it comes full circle because the first uh three let Three words of the movie is uh, "obre los ojos," and that means "open your eyes." Really? And they, yes, that's what she says at the very, very beginning. Oh. Yeah, like "open your eyes," and it just comes full circle because she finally opens her eyes yeah. and sees Mirabelle for who she is. She's a treasure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like uh, oh, the <laughs> and the butterfly symbol, like the butterflies on Mirabelle's dress, the butterflies that they constantly see um, throughout the whole movie. Mm. It's uh, a change from like caterpillar, chrysalis, breaking free, being your own person, free to fly, yeah. meet your future. Oh, 
Yeah. It's so beautiful. If the dos origitas, like if you actually look at the English translation of those lyrics, I think that song is going to make you cry <laughs> all over again. <laughs> I might just delay that one. Yeah. <laughs> Can only cry so much. Do you think there's anything harmful in this movie? I don't know. <laughs> I really love this movie. <laughs> How um, about you? The only thing I could think of which um, isn't harmful but like what might set it back is mm. that it's a Disney musical which not is, is not everybody's cup of tea but yeah. you know. A lot of people don't like the musical side of movies. But you know I'm not a big musical fan and yeah. I fucking love the songs in this movie. <laughs> and, and I think because it speaks to the youngest generation mm. it is that makes it more accessible mm-hmm. and and it will do more good because mm. from the ground up kids watching this movie you know we grew up on the cinderella fairy tales of Snow white you know the man, your one goal is to get married and live happily ever after with yeah. your man bag Very, that man <laughs> <laughs> and then that's it really yeah pretty much nobody tells you what happens after no. and this is actually a pretty good movie where it shows you a what possibility after. yeah, yeah. because abuela marries her man she has those three beautiful babies yeah. and then all the of a love sudden, story happened 50 years ago yeah pretty yeah. much yeah so i think that is such a powerful message for the kids that will grow up with this movie that we didn't get mm, um more real life yeah which yeah. will make it so helpful this apart from like the magical gifts of course <laughs> yeah i guess kids could take away that you have to have gifts Aww. because in the end mirabelle does have a gift mm, mm. but i don't think by seeing this movie you would get that because yeah. even though they all have gifts they're all all very flawed at the same yeah. time yeah and it the is... gifts are burdens yes true very true like, what, what is that Spider-Man quote? With, With um, great power comes great responsibility. Yes! And I don't even watch <laughs> Spider-Man movies. <laughs> you did it so well. <laughs> I guess the only way this movie would become more helpful is if Mirabelle was like, okay, Abuela, let's go to the town psychologist now. <laughs> <laughs> Steph's like, I'm not happy until she finally goes to therapy and I see it. <laughs> There's a mental health care plan right here with 20 sessions now. <laughs> yeah, it's a Disney movie. It can't do everything. I think no. I don't think you could see anything harmful about this movie. Yeah, it doesn't have a lot of heavy themes because it is a children's movie and is targeted at children. But it's also heavy. It does have some dark themes, but I don't think it's like too dark. No. Yeah. Yeah. And like Casper didn't cry. No. He did in Turning Red. Oh, he did? Because when the, when the panda, like when she becomes a panda, he got yeah. quite scared at that when he roared. But then later on, he was like, Where's panda? Where's the panda? Want to see the panda again? Because she's adorable yeah. as fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> but that red panda. <laughs> wasn't scared of anything in Encounter. And so if it Aww. passes the Casper test, there's, I don't think there's anything any well, parent needs to worry about. No, you, you don't <laughs> see. Um, uh, Abuelo Pedro get cut down or anything. It's kind of very. It fades out. Yeah. And you see the mountain it's ranges. Very, it's very off camera. Yeah. And, and the uh, parents are crying in a corner, but the kids like. Yeah. <laughs> and the songs are amazing. Oh, yeah. That is actually harmful. Because <laughs> <laughs> the amount of times you will be replaying that song <laughs> over and over in your head, over and over in your car. In yeah. your car, yes, all the time. Mm. But they're so good. They are very good. So, if we do our final scores... Ooh, how do we do this? How did it do? 
lived experience, I think it wins the yeah. point. Yeah. Because it really pulled together so many experiences at once from so many different angles. I feel like because they did their research. And they did their research. And yeah. they asked so many people with a background in this culture. Like, it really brings it forward. Yeah. Yes. For sure. Represent. Accuracy? Well, look, I don't... We can't really grade it in the same way. No. Because... They did say they did speak to a lot of mental health um, professionals. They did. And I think a lot of people who have watched the film have been like, this is so great for showing what intergenerational yeah. trauma is like yeah and you know there's not a dsm criteria for intergenerational no. trauma really it's no. more of a research driven thing it's a very many layered thing yeah with lots of different mental illnesses that can come from it it's like an onion no <laughs> <laughs> there's so many onions oh, sorry. so many <laughs> more shrek quotes sorry <laughs> guess I think what it... generation i came from no <laughs> yeah i think it gets a point yeah yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think it does. I think mm. it does. Like, it, it, they did try, and they did say they spoke to health, mental health professionals. And even, like, me, I could pick up on a few things that were not quite right, but also kind of helpful. It saw me see things in a different light. Yeah. Possibly what led them to that point as well, how it actually progressed. Surely, yeah, mm. sure. Um, yeah, and I think the fact that lots of psychologists and psychiatrists when seeing the movie, we're like, yeah, this nails it. I think that says a lot. Yeah. 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 Stereotypes. I'm willing to give it the point um, because it subverts them more than anything else. True. I true. You did try to break the mold in certain situations. So like, I like that about this yeah. movie. Could always do a little bit more though. It only gives a little bit, but it doesn't go the whole way. Yeah. Yeah. Like what, how you pointed out, like uh, Julieta in that gender role where she is the one cooking and like helping and healing mm. kind of thing like if it was a dude doing that i'm like oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> get me that man that cooks and heals <laughs> but then seeing abuela as the matriarch um that was that good. that is yeah not common although i was reading that there are some criticisms of the film that oh. there isn't a villain Hmm. Or, well, or it's not fair that Abuela's kind of the villain, but then it's like, but you didn't get it. You clearly didn't get yeah, the film. Yeah, because like, it's not about good versus evil. That's not this type of movie. No, the villain yeah. is intergenerational trauma. <laughs> <laughs> the villain isn't really a person. It's really the situation that they have to deal with, the fact yeah. that they have to break that mold and grow from it and be better people from it. Yeah, the yeah. toxic patterns that have come from yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like totally. you said, it's not going to happen quickly. It's going to be like a, a process thing. It's going to take time. Like It's movie magic. Of course, mm. it happened a little bit quicker, but in real life, it does take time to break from that. Yeah, which I think is very rare in a, in a, in a film like this. So mm. Mm. I think it gets a point for stereotypes. Okay. <laughs> Do you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yes, yes. And helpful or harmful, I think it. I, I think, think we agree. Helpful, yeah. It's very, very helpful. Very helpful. I, I have no problems with children seeing this movie at all. I think it's actually quite good. Yeah. Yeah. I have no problems with anyone seeing this movie. In fact, please go, go watch and it see now. This movie. <laughs> <laughs> please do. Do yourself a favor. Yeah. 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 Even if you don't like musicals, it's worth it. Put the subtitles on it and just like um, mute it and then just read the lyrics. Thank you so much for joining me, Heidi. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Would you like to plug anything while you're here or, or tell our listeners about anything you're doing on social media that you'd like them to follow? Well, I do have an Instagram called at Mist Girl Reviews. So that's M-Y-S-T-G-R-R-L 
reviews with a Z at the end. But um, yeah, I, uh, I'm a bookworm. I see a lot of authors. I go to their talks. Um, I get a lot of books signed and I just like sharing my love of books. So if anything, follow that. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe to our Patreon for bonus content. Please do. Yes. And shoot us a review on iTunes, uh, Apple or Good Pods. Um, make sure it's five stars, nothing less. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. This podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive, or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener. For a longer version of this disclaimer, please visit the episode notes on your podcast app.